Hello, welcome everyone to the Work From Home show. I'm your host, Nikki Weisgarber, and today I am joined by a leader in employee engagement. He's a professional speaker, educator, and a community builder. He has worked in employee engagement in over eight countries and has written four books on employee engagement. I consider him an employee engagement expert for sure. So welcome, David Zinger. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks for coming on and uh, contributing to to the show today. I'm 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 really interested to hear, um, you know, about your background. Uh, so you have a background in psychology and um, you know psychology, uh, employee engagement, and what's happening in the world today is really quite intertwined. So I, I can't wait to kind of get into the the, the meat of the show here. Um, before we kind of get started, um, you have quite a robust career history in employee engagement, and I only scratched the surface of it um, in the introduction. So I'd like you to share uh, with the audience and myself uh, your background and kind of like where, how your background led you to where you are today. I guess the short answer is uh, I have a background in counseling psychology, uh, teaching at University of Manitoba for 25 years, uh, while also being the employee assistance counselor and career development coach for Seagram up in Gimli, the world supplier of Crown Royal. Mm -hmm. um, back in 1990, I first encountered William Kahn's article on personal engagement. Uh, I was taken by the article uh, upon very first reading, and, and who knew that it would take off at the level that it did, but I, I did I did see it coming. I did see that uh, that engage word was was very powerful, and it talked about a, a real strong connection. I turned 65 in September, um, and on March 30th, I, I applied for CPP and old age security, and uh, it was the quietest retirement ever. I just filled out the forms and thought, oh, I guess I'm retired, but not really. In a strange way, I, I see myself, and, and I hope this doesn't sound presumptuous, and you're the kind of one of the first people I've ever mentioned this to, I see myself fulfilling the role of an elder of engagement. Uh, I've been around engagement for 25,000 hours. I've been around the world in engagement. I have nothing that I need to prove. I have nothing that I'm specifically striving for, but I would like to bring out the good in people and work and so in whatever way and whatever fashion I can do that whether that's speaking writing coaching uh, I'm there yeah a mentor for sure <laughs> we'll have to talk after the show <laughs> okay <laughs> all right so <clears throat> You know, right now, everyone is going through this massive transition uh, with the pandemic. Um, and, you know, some of us are managing this change well, and some of us not so much. Um, I was reading some of your, your articles, and you had this article on uh, managing the circle of transition, where you talk about tapping into that psychology experience of the changes that you're, you're going through. And essentially what you're saying is you identify them, you like name them, and then the, the, out, the outcome of that um, process is to hopefully understand what you need to navigate through these ups, ups and downs. Um, the article was focused on, you know, how individuals can kind of um, take those steps and navigate through that. I want to talk a little bit about uh, from an organizational level and from like a leadership and managerial level um, on how we can use this uh, circle of transitions uh, to support us and our employees and our organizations. First and foremost, it's really important. I, I very much concur with William Bridges that uh, a transition begins with an ending. And frankly, we suck 
at uh, addressing endings. Uh, yeah. we, we really aren't good about it. Uh, we avoid it, we're nervous around it, we're emotional around it. I, I'm not only talking individually, but, but organizationally. William said uh, the biggest failure of all organizations around change is the failure to recognize who is losing what because of the change. And I think if, if I could advise one thing as a leader is take some time to talk to people, whether it's now or whether it's two months down the line, what have you lost in relationship to roles, routines, relationships, and assumptions with all the changes that we've encountered? The big fear is if we go there, people are going to get stuck there. But my experience in counseling has shown me the way out of something is through something. And as long as we shuffle it off to the side, as long as we ignore it, as long as we try to whitewash it or paint a real positive and optimistic scenario, uh, I think the longer it lingers. I've never liked positive thinking. It just seemed too Pollyannish. I never liked negative thinking because I think there's enough troubles already. I do love constructive thinking. And what do, what do we construct? I, I'm, not, I'm not talking here the silver lining, the opportunity in crisis. Many times I see those words bandied about and they seem disingenuous. Uh, but I think at a certain level, there is transformational coping. There is uh, experiences that people are going to be very changed by their experiences of work. And some of it's going to be very, very constructive. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we need to go through that process. It's almost like a grief we're going through a bit of grief process right now too. And so you got to go through each of these phases. And I think that if you are, you know, if you're, some of us are self-aware and, and kind of understand where we are in each of these phases. Um, but I think you do need to kind of step back and um, kind of think about what has happened over the last, you know, few weeks that we've been in, in this pandemic and working from home, going through these transitions, identify with them and say, I'm going through this, I am struggling. Um, and just be in the moment with that, but then think about, you know, how can, what, what are the solutions around that and how can I get out of this for sure? Um, so from an individual level, um, what are like some things that teams can do to support their leaders or to support their organization? So kind of reversing the questions we can, organizations can support their employees and support their, you know, leaders and, and how can, you know, those individual contributors, as support the organization and the teams or the managers and leadership? It's, you know, how do you add value? How do you bring value? Uh, you know, you, you talked about grief and, and uh, the person who worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on stages of grief uh, has done some revisions and added a, a sixth stage called yeah. meaning. Uh, he even used the term find meaning. I don't think we actually find meaning. I think we create meaning. Mm -hmm. Uh, what are the meanings that, that I need to create out of this? There is the opportunity right now, because of the stage of flux, for some fairly large-scale and small-scale innovation, that you can maybe be more innovative than you ever could have before. You, if you're an internal communicator, you may not need six people to sign off on something that you're communicating within the organization. Uh, us doing these kind of uh, videos, I mean, generally organizations would want a studio and this and that and the other thing, and, and we're working from home. 
Um, so there's, there's lots of things you can do. Um, what I personally do a lot of is I, I work in 11 minute, 11 second time zones or what I call an E-zone or engagement zone. Uh, the single biggest contributor to engagement uh, for knowledge workers, which are almost all of us, is progress. Because they work in such short time zones, and, and I may string 15 together in a row almost, like just a small little pause between each one, uh, I see progress every day. Uh, I've got a book. Uh, and, and, and what I do is I just write Very each, neat. <laughs> each period I've done. Yeah, uh, I've done that for years. And so that, you know, I don't get stuck. I, I don't, there, there are days in this process, you're going to feel stuck. And that's, that's just normal. But but don't let it become chronic. Mm -hmm. and, and so progress is one of the ways to really handle setbacks. And so um, I've really worked in very tight time frames. And that keeps me quite productive. Yeah. Um I was talking with a colleague the other day and I was telling her, I'm, I'm very much the person who needs to strike things off my list. So I'm a list maker. Yeah. And if I am not striking things off my list, then I don't feel like I have accomplished anything. And so over these last few weeks, I haven't striked a lot of things off my list, but I feel as though that the items on my list are bigger projects and I need to think about those in smaller bit-sized pieces. And I think that comes back to the psychology part around it too, right? Um, I know that I, I'm aware that I'm a, a checkmark scratcher, list scratcher. Um, and so I need to take smaller chunks from my bigger projects so that I feel like I'm making progress and I am actually, you know, providing some value in my day and in the week. So I don't feel so overwhelmed. Um, do you agree with that? Is that kind of, does everybody kind of go through that like shift? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's quite variable. Uh, I used to work with procrastinators. I worked with 2,000 procrastinators at the University of Manitoba. It's such a big issue uh, 30 years ago. One of the recommendations that, that one person had was called the unlist. Because many times, if you create a list and you don't accomplish, you feel like it's been setbacks. Uh, so for instance, in, in that list I showed you, that list is only created after I've completed something. Uh, so before, like generally I work in, um, three intervals at a time. So uh, I'll write down, okay, for the next 11 minutes, I'm going to do this. And after that, I'm going to do that. And then the third one, I'll do that. And after those three, I kind of pause and then create a new list of, of three things to do. By creating an unlist and writing on it as you complete it, you once again see more tangible examples of progress. So I like listing, but I know sometimes in the past when I have a list and I don't get it done, it it becomes quite disengaging. Yeah, it does come. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Because um, you don't feel like the, va the value is there. And so become disengaged with the work that you're doing because you're feeling like you're not creating that value or making that progress. Yeah. Um, so what would be, um, what are some lasting changes to leaderships or organizations that you think might come out of this current crisis? How the hell would I know? Um, <laughs> You know, I've, 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 I've been contemplating this. I've been thinking about it. Um, I think there's still so much uh, that needs to come. But here's some of my hopes. Um, I hope it compels things to be more genuine, uh, more personal, more real, 
well also getting results. I mean, as we come out of this, many organizations are, are struggling for their economic viability. We must achieve results, but ne never, never in lieu of relationships. Uh, results get done through relationships. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping that, that leaders, and this is a really tough ask because your brain doesn't tend to function on both channels well at once, uh, that you can work towards achieving results while building relationships, um, that you really uh, bring things together. I believe and have believed, and, and there's good academic research behind, work can make you well. And so, I, I want to help people become well through their work, not in lieu of their work, and, and find pathways to well-being in the work. You know, maybe this is going to move us away from a focus on uh, pizzas and all the other, and I like those, don't get me wrong, that's just <laughs> icing on the cake, but to really authentically uh, experience well-being through the work, you know, positive emotions, engagement, relationship, meaning, accomplishment, strengths. When those six variables are there inside the work, it's like a well-being program. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one of the ways that we navigate and leaders need to do that for themselves while also um, helping other people uh, accomplish that and, and really being attuned to the improvisational nature of much of what we're going through while having a sense of, of the results that they're, they're trying to achieve. So it's, it's I, I think leadership has always been a big ask and now it's gonna be even a bigger ask. And, and so some kindness and compassion towards themselves and, and others and, and what goes on. I, I fear that some workplaces will very much go to, look, we're, we're teetering on economic failure here. You just got to double your efforts mm -hmm. and work harder, harder, harder. And, and bully mentality can start to really take hold, not because necessarily the leader is inherently a bully, but they're so fearful and they're, they're so pressed to get those results that they, they may be having a lacuna or a blind spot to the human being element of it. So it's, it's like that proverbial statement, he got off in his horse and rode off in all directions at once. <laughs> I think we're gonna see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so what would be kind of your, your, your best tip to start uh, to take those steps towards being more empathetic um, from an organizational level? So you're not getting towards that fear um, that, you know, you're kind of in that bully mentality. So what are, what are your, your best tips there? Oh, I guess one of the best tips is psychological safety uh, to be able to hold conversations and authentic conversations. Uh, Edgar Sheen he wrote a book called Humble Inquiry and, and really said, uh, we need that humility because we depend on people. Leaders are very dependent on the people they lead. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not the old day where, okay, here's what you got to do and how you do it and follow me. I mean, you're, you don't know everything. You can't do everything. You, you're dependent on those people. So, so to be able to, to learn and, and to recognize that you're part of it. You know, I've been on lots of Zoom calls, as many of us has been, but on one Zoom call, one of the, one of the women said, you know, it's very strange on Zoom because I see myself in the group. And I think that's one of the most important things for leaders is to see themselves 
in the group. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that always used to just, it, it just stunned me in my work in employee engagement, how infrequently leaders recognize themselves as being employees themselves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was those people or the, the people, how do we get more engagement? Well, you are part of it. Yeah. And what you do with your part uh, may be as influential as anything that you, you advocate or say. Yeah, no, true. And, um, you know, I, I, I lead a team at, at Kudos and, uh, I'm always like, how do I, and they're much younger than myself, <laughs> but how do I engage with them? And how do I, you know, what are the steps that I can take to make sure that I'm engaged with them and they're engaged with me because it's a reciprocating relationship, right? Um, and so I always look for those opportunities to try to be engaged with them um, because I am an employee. I'm, I'm a leader within the organization, but I'm still at the end of the day, I'm still an employee. So, <laughs> all right. So, um, Let's talk about, let's talk a little bit more. I think I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, what's happening now, you know, your psychology background, employee engagement, and how it's all intertwined. I just want to open up the floor and I just want you to spew out what your thoughts are and just give her. Oh, there's so many directions I could go. But <laughs> because I touched on psychological safety and that's getting increasing attention. A lot of people don't understand how therapy works. Like how, how does it work that you'd go to a therapist and you talk and they listen to you really well, but you're better. And I was puzzled by that, frankly. Uh, but one of the people I, I worked with, David Martin, uh, he really explained it well. He said that there's a lot of anxiety uh, in why people go to counselors. And the ability to talk about what they're going through, so they start to experience the anxiety, while they're with a therapist who makes them safe, extinguishes the fear or anxiety. So there's a lot of anxiety, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity um, in leadership roles, the ability to create safety. Um, and, you know, I used to teach uh, crucial conversations. It was a, it was a, company called Vital Smarts out of Salt Lake City and I probably taught it 80 90 times sometimes in Calgary frequently in uh, Manitoba and Saskatchewan but but in many ways I used to say that's it's a safety course and and, and I was really interested in how did how did safety get created and really the way they articulated and I would agree with that uh, psychological safety is created when you know I care about you and I care about what you're interested in. And you have a built-in shockproof shit detector that in about an 18th of a second can determine whether that caring is genuine or not. Oh, that's a big ask of leaders. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big ask of leaders. So, so you're told to care, and hopefully you do care. You care about the person, you care about what they're interested in. And if you do, you can talk to just about anyone, just about anything. Mm -hmm. um, you can really open up that. But, but, but people, you know, please, if you watch this um, interview, don't, don't manufacture caring. It, it, it really has to be authentic or real, or otherwise it's creepy, and it's probably worse than just being a bully. Because mm -hmm. then the person thinks, I thought they were a bully, but now they're kind of acting like they care. Now it's just a creepy bully. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's a pretty big ask. But, but 
you know, counseling has, has just taught me so much about uh, how people see the world and, and how they do it differently. You know, I, I'm often asked in relationship to what's going on, uh, how do you make sense of it? It reminds me, many years ago, my wife and I went to India and we came back to Winnipeg and a number of our friends who had never been to India said, what was India like? And the best answer I had for them was there is no India. There are many Indias and they reside maybe a foot or a meter apart from each other. Same thing with COVID and what's mm -hmm. going on. There are people who are just working so much and people who aren't working at all. There are people who have lost friends, family members, and there are people who really, they're screaming at the government to let them be free to roam through the parks. There's, there's so many perspectives and it's so easy to get locked into thinking, well, the way I make sense, that's the right way. That's yeah. the, the way it should be. Uh, you know, the ability to kind of increase your capacity and think, okay, let me, let me at least understand uh, what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, one final statement. I was very empathic as a counselor. That was, that was uh, the primary tool of my trade. Um, and, and people really needed to know that, that understanding doesn't mean agreement. Uh, because I understand you, because I work hard to understand you, because I work hard to understand what it's like for you and, and your world, doesn't necessarily uh, mean that I, I agree with it. I might have another perspective. Um, and I think uh, for some leaders, uh, being able to really demonstrate uh, understanding uh, is, is really vital. And, and many times they think, well, but if I understand it, they'll think I agree with it. And that isn't necessarily so. No, or or caring, just one final one. Yeah. Caring is so key, but there's a, another cute word that I love. It's called carefrontation. Out of a stance of caring, you need to put things in front of people. If people are struggling with productivity and it's jeopardizing the economic well-being of the organization, if you don't put that in front of them, if you don't have a conversation, if you don't make them aware, then you're enabling uh, that mm -hmm. behavior. Yeah. And I think when it comes to when you understand, it means that you're listening to what they're saying. You're not agreeing, but you're listening. And I think that's yeah. extremely important as well. You're there to listen and you understand what they're saying to you. And you're there to support them and guide them in the direction um, that is that they're comfortable with and give them the tools and, and the uh, kits to um, you know, execute on whatever, whatever that might be. So I think listening is, is extremely, um, it's part of caring as well, right? Just being a yeah, good listener. And, and will you have your mind changed? Hmm. Like you're not really listening if, if, if there's no possibility of your mind is changing. Mm -hmm. You're just waiting for the other person to finish and then you want to go. Um, so, so real listening and real connection means that at times you hear something, learn something, and, and you change your mind because yeah. of that. Yeah, no, oh, good points. All right, I want to also touch on uh, the five zingers on how to successfully work from home since we are in this transition and we're working from home and, and it's not on our, on, on our, on our accord. Um, so the first one is do it your way. Tell me a little bit about do it your way find the way that works for you. Like if, if doing laundry while you're working helps you work, by all means. Some days if you need to lie down on the Chesterfield for an hour or two, 
maybe that's right. If you work better at 3 a.m. And you, and you don't have to work in uh, uh, synchronicity with someone else, you can do it at your own time frame, uh, that might make sense. There, there's too many people out there telling people, this is how you're supposed to work at home. Here's, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's a bloody tyranny of tips that frankly irritate me. Mm -hmm. um, give me suggestions, give me how you're working, let me know what's going on. But even the Buddha said, be a lamp unto yourself, which meant, as I understood it, is uh, say, let's take meditation. Um, there are many meditation teachers that tell you you got to sit cross-legged and hurt your knees, and you got to have a perfect posture, okay. yeah. and, and you've got to be full. And, Hell, I, you know, I sit for 11 minutes and 11 seconds in a lazy boy chair and sometimes I focus on my breath and sometimes I look at the wall and sometimes I create a shopping list. Yeah. Um, it, it's the way that works for me and, and I think we need to respect our own process. I agree with that. And that's what I like about your list because it isn't the typical, you know, like I think you mentioned in the article that the commandments, right? Um, and so that's what I like about this list. So I hope the audience enjoys this list as well. Uh, so the next one is view this experience as an experiment. You can view all of life as an experiment, but, but I think if you say, well, let's just experiment. If I try working this way or I try doing this or I, I try more of this, what, what, what's, what's the result? So don't, don't worry about having it all right and all figured out. Uh, conduct an experiment and see if, if, if it's effective for your well-being or for your productivity or for your connections to, to others. So. Um, it's a it's a brilliant opportunity to uh, to experiment, and many workplaces are going to change how work is done. Uh, from not trusting people to work at home to saying, "Well, why are you coming into the office? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got so much more done at home. Why are you here?" Yeah, though I think that a lot of organizations are going to find that some of their employees are, are more productive working from home and some are more productive yeah. being at the office. And that is something that, you know, uh, that will be something to look at um, on the other side of this pandemic for sure. And I also well think said. that the talent pool is, is you know, going to open wide up with, um, you know, the ability to, to work from home or work from wherever you are. Um, so I think there's some great opportunities coming out on the other side of this pandemic for sure. Can I stop um, you for one second? Yeah. It, it, what you say resonates with, with something I'm really believing. I, I'm shifting my, my focus and engagement from employee engagement to work engagement. I'm, I'm really following the academic lead of Arnold Baker and others out of the Netherlands. Uh, I think as organizations, if we can teach people how to engage in their work or in their task, we give them uh, a framework or a skill or a perspective that's portable mm -hmm. because some people aren't going to get back into their organizations. They're literally going to have lost their job. Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe it was great that they rated you 10 out of 10 as an employer of choice, mm -hmm. but maybe more importantly is maybe you should have taught them some skills about how to engage in their work. So now that they've, they're going to be creative and they're going to be self-employed or they're going to embark on their own, they have a skill set that's transferable. And we failed. We oh. really failed in employee <laughs> engagement of doing that. The academics did it, but they failed in being so cryptic that nobody reads them. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Double so <-edged> sword. <laughs> it's, it's one of the things I feel pretty strongly about. There's some brilliant things out of the whole field of, of work engagement that needs to come to the foreground and needs to come fast. Yeah. 
Yeah. And probably this would be the time to take a look at those things while people are, you know, take a look at, you know, your processes or even your goals as an organization during this time um, and, and figure out what, what are those and what are the, what are those business outcomes? You know, what do you want from the employees? How do you get your employees more engaged and think about these things? So this is why we're having these conversations. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, so the third one is make memories. And I love this one. Well, you know, I've worked from home for 45 years, uh, so I'm, I'm thinking, what are all these people doing in my space? Uh, not in my home, but, it, but everybody's working at home now. I, the circumstances are very different from choosing to work at home to being compelled to work at home because of a virus that's out there and can devastate uh, healthcare workers and elderly and, and just about anyone uh, with that. But, you know, uh, I had three children under two years of age. Um, we had a, a wow. one-year-old, then twins. we had twins. Yeah. And I worked at home. Uh, it was crazy. <laughs> it was like crazy. My, my, my daughter, the twin, the boy and the girl, she, she barely slept. <laughs> like, I, would, I would be up most of the night, and, and it wasn't like my wife and I could trade off. Yeah. And so at 8 o'clock, sometimes we'd get someone to come in and help us, and I'd sleep until 10 o'clock. But frankly, the memories I have with my children and being home and seeing what goes on, I mean, for many of us who, who do uh, go to an office or we commute uh, sometimes by jet for a whole week or two weeks at a time, mm -hmm. uh, and, and if we have families, we can miss all kinds of elements. Uh, and so making memories, for me, first and foremost, if you're, if you're a parent, is with your children, but it can be with your partner. It can be uh, like if you garden or, or other things in your house, is, is seeing and noticing them. Um, even just over the last little while, because I'm probably home even more than I'm usually home, Sometimes just the way the light comes into my house, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's like, wow, look at that light. Or look at all of a sudden uh, a plant is being lit from behind my house and yet the sun is on the front of the house and it's actually bouncing off my neighbor's window and coming in. And it's, it's, it's the most ephemeral and tiniest of memories but there are those moments available. And, and some of them, uh, first and foremost, would be, would be family and, and with mm -hmm. people, but there's also tangible and other things for people who are completely on their own and, and there's yeah. no one else around. Yeah. And I think for me, it's just stepping back from my busy, hectic life to actually appreciate these moments. Um, and just being with my family because we're so both my girls are involved in hockey and hockey is extremely busy during the winter and we're go, 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 go. And then we do soccer in the spring and then swimming and yada, yada, yada. We're like being like, we're, I think it was like 80, 20, we were 80% out of the home, the majority of the day, 20% at home. And now it's completely flipped. And this is a very like different environment for everybody. But for me, I think it's been really good to just reflect on, you know, the moments that I'm spending with my kids. I'm actually now a teacher. So that's my new profession <laughs> and no. teaching them. And I get to like, I get to understand how, how they, how they learn or how they grasp certain concepts um, or how they, you know, they just interpret certain things so that I can be a better mom when they go back to school. 
I can be a better mom and support them in their learnings and teach them, you know, uh, different strategies on how to solve problems or whatever that might be. So I'm going to take that as my memory. <laughs> Fantastic. You, you twig something for me um, because of hockey. Uh, my, my son, the, the other twin, the boy twin, Luke, when he was eight, uh, was a goalie on an elite team. And I have a background in psychology and dabbled in sports psychology. And one day I asked him before he got into net, I said, uh, Luke, how, how do you handle the pressure? How do you handle the pressure of, of being a goalie? And he says, oh, when I skate towards the net, dad, I say to myself, I'll see what I can do. And literally that statement floored me because it's, it's curious, it's open, and it's egoless. Yeah. It wasn't like I'm going to do the best, I'm going to win the game, I'm going to stop lots of shots. He just, he just said, I'll see what I can do. And, you know, I've had uh, national team players from Team Canada ringette and from Finland and people stay with me and I've offered them that. Um, and I think for your daughters who play hockey, if they can go on the ice and say, I'll see what I can do, it, it creates a very open mindset to perform at your best. And, and I just want to bring it back to working from home mm -hmm. and, and doing new things is can you, before you approach each new task or each new endeavor, just maybe say to yourself, I'll, I'll see what I can do. It, 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 was, it was the brilliant wisdom of an eight-year-old that a 65-year-old father is still hanging on to this day. Though so that's great. That's a great memory too. And I do think that I think there's a lot of pressure on a lot of employees um, to produce, right? And so when you say, I'll see what I can do, I think that statement, I love that statement because it is very open and it's very agile. And you are, it basically says you are going to try your best to produce and whatever that might be. Um, but I think people are afraid to say that because of the perception of what that actually means. Um, but I'm giving people permission to say that. <laughs> and I think you well, are too. <laughs> I, I, I love that you said it's agile. I hadn't thought of it in that context, but it is very agile and it, yeah. it, it is so open and, and it doesn't prevent one from, from, from doing their best or doing absolutely the best, but it, also the person, you know, progress engages, setbacks disengage at two to one more powerfully than progress when you say I'll see what I can do and it doesn't go well, you're probably going to be more resilient and mm. bouncing back after yeah. a setback. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Number four, be mindful of your own engagement. Yeah. Pay attention. You know, it's engagement. Isn't a, a measure that's done once or twice a year. To me, engagement is something living and breathing moment to moment. It's your connection uh, to your task or to others or whatever. Uh, just show up. Uh, pay some attention is how engaged am I? Is, is my engagement dropping? Do I need to do something to help me connect? Or do I need a recovery period? Um, or is this task, is, is there something embedded in this task I need to look at maybe someone else can do it or I need to change how I approach it or, or frameworks or whatever. So um, it's, it's the idea that engagement changes uh, moment to moment like you know every 11 minute 11 second period of work i do I, i'm i'm engaged in every one but but sometimes the the, the level of engagement is higher than at other times uh, yeah. along the way and, and i think we, we just uh, pay attention yep no oh, good tip and number five um <clears throat> if you can laugh you can last yeah it's uh 
you know, I, I laugh on my own a lot. Um, I, I see the humor. My, my master's thesis in counseling was on humor and counseling. It, it was really because I laughed with clients. And, and sometimes people would, other counselors would hear me in an office with a client and, and would be laughing. And, and then I'd come out and they'd, they'd almost look at me and say, what? Like you're a counselor, what the heck is going on there? And, and if you can laugh, you can last. It, you know, it wasn't a psychologist. It was someone wiser than a psychologist. Charlie Chaplin <laughs> said it so well. He said, life is a tragedy in close-up and a comedy in long shot. And the question becomes for each of us is how long does it take us to get a long shot? That does not dismiss the tragedy. Mm -hmm. In hospital after hospital around the world, there are people dying and there are healthcare workers who are risking their lives on a daily basis. And I would venture to say you would hear a lot of laughter around there to, to cope with it mm -hmm. and to manage it. It would never be disrespectful of the process but if you can't laugh you can't last yeah i agree i think if you can't you got to find some joy in the day you know some joy in life and yeah you're right i don't i, I recently read a comment um on facebook and it was um, somebody was commenting on these, the nurses and, and doctors, I think had made a video about dancing and they were just like happy. And somebody had commented saying during a time like this, do you think that this is the time to be laughing and dancing? And I stepped back from that comment and I was like, why not? Like they are surrounded, <laughs> like they're surrounded by, you know, this tragedy all day long. Why can't you take a moment out of your day to actually do something fun and do something that is going to make you laugh because th th those endorphins are going to come out and you're going to feel that much better. So that when you're done, you're dancing and you're laughing and you have to go back to the tragedy, at least you have a, you know, a better outlook and you're, you're maybe your mind is a little bit more clear um, to support um, those patients. Yeah. I, and I think it's important from a leader perspective that you don't engage in forced fun. Yeah. Uh, I think it's an invitation. I, I like a lot of my humor is just playfulness. Like I, I, I have humor as I write things because I play with them. I, I write things in an article that I know when the article goes out, it would never be in there, but it just keeps me a little bit entertained or bemused yeah. uh, by what's saying. I got to be very careful in my editing <laughs> process uh, mm -hmm. along the way. So, so I, I just caution that sometimes people hear about being playful in it and it's like, okay, everybody, show us your socks. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Some people love to reach out and show a sock and they've got something real neat on there. And some people, they really don't want to show socks. And mm -hmm. I think as, as long as we say, here's an invitation. Those of yes. you who are interested and want to show socks, and if you're really repelled by socks, you can just turn away for two minutes. Or yeah. <laughs> Okay, great. Those are those are great uh, five tips, and I love those tips because they are not the traditional ones that we we know we have been hearing over and over again. And you did mention that you you know like to keep some comedy in your articles, and I know that this article uh, specifically you you talked about um, an elephant in a river. I was wondering if you could just tell that story quickly. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was that was fantastic. We were uh, two of my children and my wife and I were in Thailand. Uh, 
many, many years ago, we actually went to a Tiger Temple, you know, with all the stuff on uh, Netflix with the Tiger Kings. There's yep. the same kind of thing going on in, in Thailand. And so I won't talk about the politics and the ethics of it, but, mm -hmm. but you saw baby, but you also got to go for, for an elephant uh, ride. And, and the elephant walked right down to the River Kwai. And I remember the River Kwai from a war movie from a million years ago, the bridge over the River Kwai. Um, and you're riding on the elephant, but but the elephant plays with you. And, and so what the elephant does is try to buck you off. And he got me off. And, and, and my wife was still hanging on, but I was, I was <laughs> off the elephant. And then the elephant had a bowel movement and I was downstream in the river Kwai <laughs> with <an laughs> elephant dung coming towards. I've never swam so fast in all my life. You know, they talk about, uh, there's a phrase often used, the elephant in the room. Oh, the elephant in the river is worse than the elephant yeah. in the river. <laughs> <laughs> That was a great story. And I liked how you started that article off with that story because, yeah, you know, these, these five tips and, and, you know, this transition of working from home is the elephant in the room. And, and, you know, these tips are out of the normal, out of the norm. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. And uh, so thank you for sharing those tips and, and that article. And um, we'll be sure to share the, uh, the website uh, where they can find these resources as well. Um, do you, before we kind of get into some of the wrap-up questions that I've prepared, do you have any sort of last uh, comments or thoughts or insights that you want to share with the audience today? Well, you know, there is a lot of talk about uh, normal and the new normal um, and will things ever be normal again. I think if we can make friends with the unnormal, um, not the abnormal, uh, but just the unnormal, uh, you know, I've been influenced by psychology, but also Eastern psychology. And, and you know, I have a profound respect for uh, a sense of, of, of many perspectives in the East of, of being comfortable with impermanence. Um, if you really master a sense of impermanence, uh, probably what we're going through isn't, isn't as big a deal for you psychologically to go through. It can be a big deal because of loss and other things with it. I, don't, I never want to minimize things. Um, I have this great interest in Tibetan sand painters. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but the three or four monks may spend a week making mm. the most beautiful mandala, one grain of sand at a time. And you talk about being engaged in your work. It's phenomenal. They, they did it at the Winnipeg Art Gallery years ago, and I would go almost oh. every day to watch them for a little bit. They are bit, hunched it's, over. Just, oh, oh, yeah, that's so detailed. But what do they do at the end? You know. They, they wreck it. <laughs> yeah, put it in a bag sometimes yeah. and dump it in the river. Yes. <laughs> Well, can you imagine if you can work like that, if you can work on a project and then someone from Kudo say, no, we're no longer going with that. Yeah. Many times we okay. hang on to that for like <laughs> three months. My God, I worked so hard on that and it's gone. But, yeah. but there it's, it's a kind of a sense of, can you work without a sense of it having to be permanent? Right. And, and nothing is yeah. permanent in essence. Oh. So whether you want to or not, <laughs> it already is impermanent, it, but, yeah. but it's hard to hard to make friends with that it is hard to make friends with that and that I, that story resonates with me and i think i need to make friends with it so that's a that's one uh, tidbit that i'm taking out of this conversation for sure uh today well thank you david i appreciate your insights there um i've just prepared some small wrap-up questions um so uh if you had to choose from the five zingers that we just talked about what would be your number one, you know, tip for working from home or getting through this, this period of time? 
You also have experience working from home for the majority of your career. So I'm sure you have some great uh, tips there as well. Well, uh, this is the tip is only for me because I don't want that tyranny of tips uh, is humor and playfulness. So mm-hmm. Humor and playfulness is my number one signature strength. When, when, I, when I'm aware of my humor, uh, I have a higher level of well-being. When I express my humor, I have even a higher level of well-being. Mm-hmm. And when I use my humor in the service of others, that is one of the biggest contributors overall to my happiness and well-being. So because it's, it's a fundamental strength of mine, uh, it very much is uh, there uh, for me. And, yeah. and I, once again, I guess we go full circle, do it your way. Yeah. You need to find out either experimentally or with a hunch, what seems to work for you and, and see, let it unfold. Let it unfold. Yep. Oh, good one. Um, is there anything that you're uh, binge watching on uh, Netflix or Crave? Anything you're sort of diving into right now while we're social distancing? Well, Tiger King, because of my times <laughs> in Thailand, uh, and, and Ozark, we just mm. finished it, um, and Capture. I thought mm. Capture, uh, I think that was on Prime uh, with the use of video and what was going on was, was interesting. I, I, I find Life in Pieces has posted some new episodes, so that's, that's good for a bit of a lighter perspective, but I, yeah. I come to lightness pretty naturally. Um, so what I've kind of enjoyed is, is the series with mystery or some element, and it really kind of pulls me through. Because mm-hmm. sometimes for a couple hours at night, um, we need something to pull us through. My, my wife is uh, managing the COVID call center for the province of Manitoba. Oh, wow. And to set it up and to run it, it was like 12-hour days. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, we, we don't have very many cases in Manitoba, touch wood. I've got mm-hmm. some wood right here. Um, so often when she got home after seven, we'd have a little bite to eat and then we'd watch a couple shows and that, that really was a good chance to unwind. It's a little bit too much TV for my liking overall, but, but it's also been a good way to get through things. Yeah, I agree with that too. I feel like I'm on the computer all day long and then I end up binge watching something on Netflix. I'm like, oh, this is way too much screen time. <laughs> but can't help it. I'm, I'm into Ozark as well. So I really enjoy, I really enjoy that series. Um, is there a book or a podcast or any sort of like learning resource that you can uh, recommend for our audience today to continue developing their employee engagement skills or how they can tap into that for their organization? There's so many uh, books. Uh, you know, I, just to go back in time, Teresa Amabile on, on the progress principle, it got a fair bit of attention, but the shelf life of books is very short. And, and I think uh, particularly for managers to understand the, the fundamentals of, of progress. Uh, personally for me, very strangely, I've never had a science background in arts and psychology and, and, and that kind of perspective. I, I've become very interested in virology, uh, mm-hmm. the science of it. Not, mm-hmm. And uh, I thought I could never really understand it. And there was a course from Columbia uh, university of 13 or 21 lessons on virology and I'm, I'm working my way through it and I'm absolutely fascinated although I, I never at 65 I'm not about to become yeah. uh, a virologist and they have a podcast and, and so it's it's interesting to it's been interesting to me to hear the scientists and the medical people work because of the level of which they're sharing information they're so experimental and open at what they're doing mm-hmm. they debunk claims when claims need debunking, but they will test claims if they think that there's some uh, potential efficacy of it. And, and so to, 
to hear this on a weekly basis. It's called This Week in Virology. Uh, if, if you really want to tune into it, it's, it's yeah. quite technical. But, but to just listen to how it unfolds, they, they've had a doctor from New York who's very active in the hospitals. He comes on the show about once every two weeks or something and just talk about what, what they're trying and why they're doing this and how they're moving the patients with this and what's going on with steroids. Like I take Flonase for um, allergies, but it's a steroid and steroids mm -hmm. in the first week of COVID is not a good thing. In yep. the second week, it may be, may be called for. So it's just it's fascinating how they kind of puzzle through it. Um, and if we could bring that spirit in our own recovery, in our organizations, mm -hmm. in our communication with each other and between organizations. Then, and if I could play a small part in that, I would almost fulfill my role of being an elder of engagement that there I've kind of imaginary given myself that title <laughs> of. That's great. <laughs> Well, David, I, again, thank you for so much for, for coming on the show today and, and providing your insights. And um, I really appreciated our conversation. I think we've like, we're almost at an hour here. Uh, I probably could talk to you for like another hour, uh, but maybe we'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> sure. Um, well, thank you, uh, everybody, for tuning in today. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Um, and if you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a five-star rating. And until next time, stay wise, stay connected, and stay healthy. Thank you, everyone.